Welcome to Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan, and I'm the host of this podcast. I welcome you. Thanks for listening. If you care about health, yours or other people's, then this podcast is for you. It's distributed monthly on the first Monday of each month. Best of all, it's free. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Grassroots Health is sponsored by the 1795 Group. Check us out at 1795group.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode number five of Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan and I'm your host. Today, my special guests are Jeff and Deb Banks from Anna, Ohio. Our topic today is very fascinating. The topic is this, loss 20 years later. Does grief and mourning change over time? Hmm. As many of you know, I've taught death and dying at the University of Toledo for 23 years now. By my estimate, that's about uh, 3,000 college students who have taken my class. As you might imagine, I've heard quite a few stories from my students about loss, grief, and mourning, their own and others. Plus, in those 23 years, I've experienced many losses of my own. So as we get started today, let's make sure that we're all on the same page and are defining things the same way, okay? First... Let's define the term bereavement. It's important to know that being bereft, that is experiencing bereavement, is a normal human experience. Bereavement is impossible to avoid if we love or value a person, a pet, a thing, our past, our health, a job, our marriage, a dating relationship, a sport we used to play. You know, loss is loss no matter the cause of it. All of us have experienced bereavement and all of us have been bereft. So what is it? What is bereavement? Well, bereavement is the event of our loss. It is what happened to us. It's the story of our loss, something precious to us, something or someone that we loved or highly valued, was suddenly yanked away from us against our will. This creates a a sense of deprivation in us that some part of ourselves was stripped away against our will, against our wishes. That's bereavement. Next, let's talk about grief. What is it? Well, grief is our reactions to the loss. Grief occurs in many different ways in many different areas of our lives. Emotional, mental, our behaviors, psychological, spiritual. And it's also highly variable among people. There is no one right way or universal way to manifest grief. It comes out in many different ways. As I've said, loss is loss no matter what causes the loss and All losses create grief. These reactions to loss may appear immediately after bereavement. They may be delayed or they may never occur. And no particular survivor of loss, that is bereavement, will experience all the ways that grief can come out, nor must they experience it. 
Third, let's define the term morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, not morning, like the sun comes up in the morning, but M-O-U-R-N, morning. Morning is closely related to grief. It's often used as a synonym for it, but they are very, very different. Don't use them the same. Mourning is the process of integrating the loss into our ongoing life. It is not our reaction to the loss. It's a process of integrating the loss into our life. It's, it's developing that, that new normal without that thing, without that person, without that pet. And it's the process of mourning that is at least partly determined by social and cultural norms for expressing grief. For instance, I've had many students from Saudi Arabia their culture determines how grief is expressed versus in the United States, even past years to current times. If we go back to John F. Kennedy's assassination, what did Jacqueline Kennedy wear? Well, she was dressed in all black. She had a veil over her face in black. She had black gloves, black dress. Everyone was dressed in black. Well, we don't see too many women dressed in black anymore in the United States. So it even can change with time. Now it's time for several of my pet peeves. Let's first talk about pet peeve number one, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. No, she did not invent the chocolate chip cookie, I'm sorry to say. (laughs) She did not invent the chocolate chip cookie. Nor did she come up with the five stages of grief, as we often hear among people and in the newspaper and in the media. Please don't misuse her research this way. Please, please don't. This is a pet peeve of mine. Dr. Kluber-Ross was trained as a psychiatrist. And she interviewed patients in the hospital who were very much still alive. They weren't dead. And she didn't interview their relatives after their death. She talked to people who were still alive. Yes, they were mostly terminal, but they were still alive. And she asked them and observed them about how they coped with the threat of death. So her model is really the five stages of coping with life-threatening illness, not the five stages of grief. Don't misuse her research. My second pet peeve deals with things I wish people would have told me many, many years ago before I experienced my Tremendous losses. My father-in-law, John. My mother-in-law, Sylvia. My own father, Clyde. I mean, I've had a lot of losses in life. The loss of music from my life because of a hearing issue. So here are five things I wish people would have told me many, many years ago. Number one, ignore the idea of finite stages of grief. They just don't exist. There are no stages of grief, and that's why I hate stage models. You can just throw that out the window. Number two, time does not heal all wounds. I guess it depends on what you do with the time, but I still think about many of the people that were in my life almost every day. I still think about my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my father, almost every day. So you'd say time didn't heal your wounds. Well, time does not heal all wounds. The third pet peeve of mine is 
everything does not happen for a reason. I hear that a lot from students. Well, everything happens for a reason, Dr. Jordan. Well, does it really? Did the murder of my wife's cousin Mark happen for a reason? Was the child who was hit by a car happen for a reason? Did Jason's death happen for a reason? I, I just don't believe everything happens for a reason. And saying that, this is my fourth pet peeve, saying that someone is in a better place, that really doesn't help. That does not help. We may believe that, and many people who are spiritual or Christians or even Muslims maybe believe that, Jews may believe that, but you know, saying it doesn't really help because you're still without the physical presence of the person who is there. You can't touch them. You, know, you don't hear their laugh. You can't smell their fragrance of their perfume or cologne. They're just not there. And so saying that they're in a better place, it may make you feel better, but it doesn't make the bereft feel better. And then last, just cry when you want to. Cry whenever you want to. I mean, let's take my first episode of crying over my dad's death. It happened many months after. I think it was in the late summer months, maybe July, August, I went down and asked my mom if I could borrow my dad's hedge trimmers. And she said yes. I went down and got the hedge trimmers. I started cutting bushes in my front yard. And I just started crying. Man, I hope the neighbors didn't see me. They probably thought maybe I cut my hand off or something. I don't know. I just started crying because those hedge trimmers were my dad's. And he taught me probably from, I was probably 10 years old, maybe 11 years old. He taught me how to trim hedges around that property that we used to have on 538 Glenwood Road in Rossford. He taught me everything I knew about those head trimmers. And I had to go in the house, put the head trimmers down, I had to turn them off. I had to go in the house, and I just bawled like a baby. So cry when you want to. Don't cry just because people say you have to cry, or don't cry when people say you have to cry. Just cry when you want to. Last, I want to talk to you about a method of mourning that I found very effective for myself and for many others. It's a highly successful method of creating that new normal and moving forward with life, you know, without that person, that pet, that thing, your past, the job, whatever it is that you've lost. And that approach is called the narrative approach. Narrative means telling your story of loss to someone else. You're, you're going to hear... Jeff Banks in this interview talk about, well, you need to find somebody to talk to. He's learned the secret of the narrative approach. You know, you think about our lives, really, our lives are nothing but just a tapestry of stories. We're, we're kind of hardwired, we, we who are human, we're hardwired to tell and listen to stories. You don't believe me? Just go to your 30-year high school reunion or your 25 reunion, or in my case, well, I, I, I won't tell you how many years I've been out of high school, but... It's a lot of years. You just go back and you listen. People just, all they do is tell stories. In church, the priest or the pastor is just uh, droning on. People are asleep. And then all of a sudden, he starts telling a personal story. What do the heads do? The heads pop up. People start listening. Stories make sense. They help to make sense of our world. They help to make sense of our past. And every loss that we experience Every single one creates a new story for us or, an, or a new set of stories for us. And when we lose someone or something, 
we have to revise that story. We have to reform it. We have to tell a new life story because that person, that place, that thing, whatever it is that's lost is gone. So I found that that talking about our loss and telling our story of loss to others can be a very effective method of coping with loss. And I encourage you to find someone that you trust and tell your story to them today. Telling the story, talking about it, helps us to integrate the loss into our lives in a new way. And you know, doing so helps us to adjust our relationships in ways that restore wholeness. We, we don't get over the loss. It doesn't go away. But telling the story of loss helps us to find it a different place for it. When loss first happens, it's right in front of us. It's all we can see. It's all we think about. It's all we post about on social media. It's all we talk about with our friends. And telling your story of loss to others helps that loss to eventually move to the periphery of our vision. Can we focus on it if we want to? Yep. Do things like grief triggers sometimes bring the loss to the forefront? Yep. However, telling your story of loss gives your grief a voice and helps you to view it from a distance. It makes order out of disorder and helps you find meaning in what seemed meaningless. Telling your story of loss helps you develop that new normal without leaving your deceased loved one behind. So please find someone to talk to today. Tell your story of loss to him or to her. Now that I've set the table for you, let's talk about my special guests today, Jeff and Deb Banks from Anna, Ohio. You know, I first heard of them from a student that I had in my death and dying class in the spring semester of 2005. His name was Brian. And back then, I assigned students to do an interview project, and their assignment was to go find someone and interview them about their greatest loss to date. And so Brian must have known Jeff and Deb or about them, And so he interviewed Jeff and Deb about the greatest loss, their greatest loss to date, which happened to be their son, Jason, in 2002. I was so impressed with the paper and their story that I invited Jeff and Deb to the university one evening. I think it was in April of 2005. And I called UT Broadcasting, had them come out, and they videotaped a panel discussion that I had with them and another mom and sister and boyfriend who had lost a dear loved one. I think there were six Bowling Green students that were that died at the same time in that crash. Since then, over 2,000 UT students have watched that video, and they've learned about Jason Banks. I just ended up teaching about him just a week or two ago. Who was Jason Banks? What was he like? What happened to him? How did he die? And did these parents, did their loss, their sense of grief, mourning, did it change over time? Well, let's listen and find out. Here they are, Jeff and Deb Banks. Well, hello, everyone. This is Dr. Tim Jordan. I'm your host. This is episode five of Grassroots Health. 
And we're here with Jeff and Deb Banks today. We're talking about loss 20 years later. They've had a terrible death in their family, lost a child. But it's been 20 years since I've talked to them about it. So we're bringing them back on the show today to talk about what has happened in those 20 years. So Jeff and Deb, how are you? Doing well. Doing fine, Tim. All right. Well, it's so good to see you again. You know, our listeners don't know who you are. Um, I think we met maybe 17 years ago and haven't talked much since then. But, you know, give us give us a review of who you are, where you're from, retired, working, a little bit about your kids, maybe their spouses, their grandkids. And this is a chance for you to give a shout out to your family. So we'll let you do that. Okay. I guess I can start. Uh, well, let's see. Deb and I were originally from Tiffin, Ohio, and we came to Anna in 1988. Um, my career as an engineer brought us here. I worked for Honda. Uh, retired out of there about nine years ago. Um, we have three children, Malia, Jessica, our son Jason, who we're here to talk about today. Uh, we've been blessed with eight grandchildren, four boys, four girls. Uh, they range from our oldest grandson is 25 and our youngest granddaughter is eight years old and they're all in Anna, which is awesome. Uh, we are so blessed um, to have our family here with us. Um, what else, Deborah? So let me ask, all, all the kids live in Anna, Ohio? Yes. Our, yes, our oldest son, West, our oldest grandson, Wes, and he graduated from BG. And he and his fiance, Rachel, they are both school teachers in Sydney right now. And they're, wow. getting, married, they're getting married this summer. Well, fantastic. So I think I heard you say you have eight grandkids, yeah. four boys and four girls. Is that right? Yes. Wow. You are really blessed because I only have three. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, uh, you know, when we didn't have grandkids, people always said, just just wait till you have grandkids. It's great. And, you know, you can spoil them and then give them back at the end of the day. And you said, yeah, 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 yeah. You just kind of downplay it. And boy, when you have grandkids, it does. It reminds you so much of when your kids were little and uh, you do. You, my wife has a little saying when we come in the house, because why do you need Santa when you have grandma? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's yeah, really you, true. It absolutely is. <laughs> Let's, um, I, I think I met the two of you, maybe it'd be 17 years this spring. I, I think it was in spring semester, and it may have been 2006. Yeah, I believe And that. I, had a, I had a male student in my death and dying class at the time. I'm still teaching that class here at U Toledo. Do you remember what his name was? Yes, Brian Schulze. That's right, Brian, Brian. I had forgotten I've, I've had 1,000, 1,200 students since then, but I read his paper that he wrote about you. I think he did an interview project with you and interviewed you about your greatest loss at the point, and I think it was pretty fresh. I think Jason died maybe in 2002, so it was still pretty fresh, and then... I had another guy in the class named Craig Rotapiller, and I don't know if Jason or Craig will ever listen. Maybe they will, but um, Craig, I think, maybe was engaged to a young lady from Bowling Green, or at least they were seriously dating. They were exclusive, and her name was Ryan Foss. She was a female, R-A-R-Y-A-N, Ryan, and um, Craig interviewed her mom about her mom's grace loss, and it turns out that Ryan and I think six other Bowling Green students had died. And so I had you both come in. Do you remember that night? 
Yes. Very well. Very well. Yeah, it was probably the best, one of the best nights of my life, actually. Remember the lights were blinking on and off inexplicably. <laughs> <laughs> we said maybe the dead are trying to come back and tell us something. We weren't sure, but so. Yeah, we, um, we got a look on our face, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all kind of like, oh, this is kind of weird. But, you know, it's important to keep Jason, your son, and Ryan alive, in my opinion. Um, and that's why we continue to talk about them. I continue to teach about them. I continue to show that video when you guys came in 17 years ago, and it's just tremendous. Uh, still not dating itself. Even though we've all gotten older and, and look look like it, we put on some extra pounds or lost some hair or the hair's turned gray. But I think I just want to say, you know, thank you for coming on today and and, and thank you for being part of helping me keep Jason alive. Thank you also. Absolutely. Um, let's, start, let's start there by talking about Jason. Um, he was the son that, that died in 2002. Um, what was he like? What was his personality like? Jason, you know, from the time he was young, he, he, he always gave 100, 100%, 110%, everything he did. From the time he was a little boy, he always had a ball in his hand. He was a pretty gifted athlete. Um, he was one of those kids, school, friends, no matter what it was or who he was engaged with, you know, he just, he gave it his all. Um, of course, made us very proud. Um, and as he got older and got into high school, he, he was very successful athlete, great student. Um, his friends, uh, still to this day, you know, 20 years later, uh, they still tell us stories about Jason, um, things that we learn. I would say what was pretty incredible for Deb and I and our family is we learned stories of our son after he had died that we never we never knew how he reached out and helped people. Some people were even a little older than him, maybe struggling, and he would approach them and just talk to them. And you know, we we never we never knew that. And so when we would hear those types of things, it would just tell us, you know, a little more. A little more about who, who he really was, you know. I remember in the original time we met 17 years ago, you and Deb said that you had learned that Jason would be driving by a playground, as an example, and see some boys playing basketball. And he would just stop out of his own time and, and help them learn the game of basketball. And it really describes how what kind of a person he was. He, he liked helping other people. Would you say that's right? Yes, and a lot that, we'll, as Jeff said, that we didn't know about. And I think, too, it's, you know, we tend to halo our loved ones, especially kids. But he really was a very respectful son, and there wasn't a whole lot of discipline that had to be done with him. Um, now, I, I'm going I'm to say something on top of that. You know, his friends put together a get-together here, a 20-year anniversary, and uh, they organized it. Fantastic. And, uh, and it was beautiful, and they came to the house. And, of course, they shared stories about our son that we didn't know. And I can remember Deb said, wait till I see him again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was, he's going to get it maybe here and there once in a while. He was a little more ornery than we thought, but... Yeah, I, I, wait till I see him again. I'm going to spank him in heaven, right? 
But he was, uh, I, I guess, you know, just extra things we've heard. He was very funny, very witty. Well, Tim, I'm, I'm holding the fifth grade bio of Jason that he did about himself. And, you know, and, and we cherish this. And the very first line, it says, Jason, athletic, funny, famous, and ornery. <laughs> <laughs> he was so, ornery, huh? I know which side of the family he gets that from, too. <laughs> yep, I know, too. That's from Deb's side. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's describe, unfortunately, you know, we have to go backwards a little bit because our listeners don't know anything of what happened. Um, my students at UT do because I've told them about it. But other than that, you know, no one knows what happened. So Jason died in 2002. Uh, it'll be like 21 years this spring. It yeah. was a spring trip, as I recall. Um, he had graduated from Anna High School and had a successful career in basketball, golf. I think academically, uh, he was planning to go to Ohio State University. And let me, maybe let's go to Deb and say, you know, what happened to Jason on that trip, Deb? What, what happened? What was your loss? Well, it was actually the first time that Jason had ever been away from us. And we didn't want him to go, but he was such a dedicated student and athlete that he never really had a lot of breaks. So it was 36 of the kids that went down to Myrtle Beach. So we, he went. And actually, when they got down there, um, he called around 6 o'clock, and he and I talked. And um, it was only a few hours after that that we got an, a call from a friend that said he um, was hurt. And of course, we didn't know the extent of the injuries or anything like that. He had fallen and he wasn't jumping into a pool or anything like that, um, but trying to get down to his room, which was the balcony below where they were at, a lot of them, and taking a shortcut possibly. No one has really ever said, so I think they just, they don't know. Um, but anyway, then he fell. I think, I think you said originally that, and maybe it was Jeff, you said it, I'm not sure, but you felt like maybe Jason was trying to, you know, get out of there. He didn't want to get in trouble. He was a good kid, had a good reputation, and, you know, thought it was important. The bank's name was important to him. And he said, hey, I'll see you later, and my room's down below. Is, is that still... Kind of the way you see it as he was trying to maybe get out of some trouble? Well, yeah, I think, you know, he was at, he was in a room with some friends and there was another school there. And it was, I, I think it was like their last night and, the, and, and a lot of, they were raising a lot of cane. And uh, so I think what happened, we, we understand like a security guard was going room to room. Uh -huh. And so, you know, and Jason just, you know, he was there with his friends. He's all right. Hey, look, guys, I'll, I'll, I'll see, I'll see you, I'll see you downstairs. And he went out the sliding glass doors, and he was obviously, you know, we think he was just going to crawl down the balcony down to his room. And yeah. in, the, in the process of doing that, he slipped. But you know, no one ever saw it, witnessed it. That's that's all we know. Huh. So Jason slipped, and it was, uh, as I recall from the original story. We, that we recorded, it was a fifth or, or sixth-story balcony. Is that right? Yes. So he fell all the way, and I think you told me that originally his body landed in the pool, but his, his head 
His head yeah. didn't. Well, his body. We we know that we know that he was in the pool. Um, I believe there was a gentleman there who was maybe what Deb. He was home from the military, maybe, and he and he uh, he didn't see what happened, but he went pulled Jason out of the water, and I, and I think he tried to resuscitate him hmm. before the uh, before the EMTs or whoever was called to get there to you know to work on to work on Jason. I can imagine as a parent myself, parent of two and having three grandchildren now, how, how that must have felt. Um, you know, you, it was on a Sunday, as I recall. Um, you, you couldn't get down there. You felt like you wanted to be there, but yet you got a call back, I think, from the hospital or ER that Jason passed away. He was dead. And I mean, what, what do we go for? But you felt like I would feel like I want to be there, just like you guys felt. We don't want to dwell on kind of what happened at that point, but we want to dwell, and what I'm really interested in talking about today is it, his death has been over 20 years in the past, and I want to focus on the here and now. So my question to both of you is, look, you know, looking back on things 20 years ago, what's changed and what has stayed the same? Do you want me to start? Well. <laughs> I guess what has changed somewhat for me is that I can have my memories, which are typically daily, and they're, they're more fond memories, they're happy memories, they don't bring as much sadness anymore, but occasionally they do. And if I am not having a particularly good day, emotionally or otherwise, then I just tell myself, I, I don't have to go there today. Maybe tomorrow, okay. but not today. So that helps. And of course, our, our grandchildren, you know, busy with their lives all these years has been a huge blessing. And um, I don't think you swept the small stuff as much as the saying goes, because you had gone through something so much bigger. <laughs> and yeah, more I remember I remember Tracy saying that in our video. Tracy was the mom of Ryan mm -hmm. Foss, and uh, maybe it was her sister. I can't remember, but one of them said, you know, I just don't sweat the small stuff anymore. And she talked about, you know, traffic, her boyfriend getting mad and, you know, slamming his fist against the wheel. And I think it was her sister. Um, and you said, I just don't, I just don't sweat the small stuff. So it's interesting that you say that. Jeff, what about you? What, what's changed and what stayed the same? I think that, uh, you know what, when a child dies, when, it, when it, you know, it's your flesh, it's your blood. Um, you know, when my dad died a couple years after Jason died, you know, I, I grieved differently for my dad than I did for my son. My dad and I were very close. But, you know, when your child dies, you know, it's part of you that goes and um, everything changes. You know, everything in life and everything about your life changes. And, and I looked at life through a completely different set of eyes after Jason died. Um, and I still do to this day. Of course, initially, you know, you're, you're in the shock and then you want to know why in the world did this happen to us, to me, you know, and... For me, it was directed toward God. Why me? Why our son? You know, why Deb and I? What do we ever? You know, why do? What do we do to deserve this? <laughs> mm -hmm. But but um, 
you know, I think a lot of people go there who maybe uh, who lost a child, you know, depending on maybe what your belief is. But um, even 20 years later, you know, back then, I mean, I, we shared years ago, 17 years ago, God did some pretty amazing, profound things mm-hmm. that, that changed me, that changed us. And had that not happened, I, I really don't know where I would be today because I... I really didn't want to exist, even though I had a beautiful wife and my daughters, and my family, their husbands. Uh, I had we had two beautiful grand grandsons and a granddaughter on the way. But boy, I, I I just couldn't find any joy. So because of God did some pretty cool things. Um, thank God for that. And so uh, I look I look at life completely different as a result of that. Yeah, and I I sense that. You know, even though we spent some time last night in the green room, so to speak, uh, I sense that you you two are really different. Um, you talked about pouring yourself into the youth at church. Can you talk about that? Um, I had already been teaching um, CCD, which is uh, religious Catholic mm-hmm. education. I had um, been doing that for some years, and... Um, Contest and I have continued with that, and then Jeff came on board years ago as well and teaches seniors. But um, I also got involved in a lot of different ministries um, throughout our area, and I think just helping others has has helped me a lot. And um, Jeff, he was called to a lot of his own ministries, especially through music, and I'll let him say that. Yeah, I want to. I want to say to our listeners. I don't know if that was maybe the first time you had performed that type of song seventeen years ago, but I, I saw you bring in a guitar from the from the parking lot because it was really hot out. I think it was like ninety degrees that night. You brought it in and put it, and you didn't know that I watched you put it there. And so about halfway through our session, I said, "Is that yours?" And Jeff said, "Yeah." <laughs> kind of sheepishly looked at me and. I said, do you play? He goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> I said, do you sing? Because at that time I had an active group, a family group called Soul Venture. And he goes, well, uh, yeah, Jason gave me a song. And so he ended up singing that song that Jason gave to him. So evidently that has led to other music ministries. Is that right, Joe? Yeah, that's, well, that's true. And, um, you know, a little bit of background behind that that song about seven months after Jason had died, it was in the middle of the night and all these words were just passing through my head and nothing like that had ever happened to me. And back then just dealing with every day, you want to get through today, you don't want to face tomorrow. So I came out here in the kitchen and just the words just flowed right down. And it was a poem and it was about Jason. And, uh, and so, you know, that, that poem kind of be kind of like a prayer for me. I knew I knew it was I knew God had a hand in it, but I never I had no experience with God, you know, anything like that before, because I certainly wouldn't have written that, if that makes sense. Well, then, um, and then, about a year after that, some very profound things happened, and as a result, um, it was a miracle. But some way, somehow, you know, I had an old beater guitar, and a buddy of mine played all the time, and we were messing around. He showed me a few chords, you know, and. And I don't know how or why, but I, I just started singing those that poem, you know, into the music, and it evolved into a song. 
First, I called it Jason's song. And then, you know, a while later, I never read scripture at all. And I got into scripture and it evolved into grief to joy. After reading, mm-hmm. a, passage, after reading a passage one day, and that's the name of the song to this day. <laughs> because, that's amazing. Because that's what, that's what I have to say, that's what our good Lord did for us, for me. Uh, our, our grief became joy. Uh, and I never, ever would have thought, imagine that happening when, when we were stuck in the depths of our grief, you know, through the first, you know, year and a half of Jason's, you know, just working through that first year and a half. Yeah, I know um, both of you said that you're Catholic. Um, ha- have you become more spiritual or religious through Jason's death, would you say, or, or less so? I, I, I sense I know of the answer, but I want to hear it from you. Well, for me, um, I, I wanted to find help. I, I had to have a plan. How, how are we going to make this better? And Jeff was stuck, if you will, at the time. And so we kind of reversed roles. But um, what's interesting is all of the cards, you know, that you receive, were, and there were tons of them, but I started to notice the scripture verses in these cards. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to know what's the, what's the verse before that and after that. And so I started to read scripture just to find out the whole story. And part of my um, grieving process, I didn't go back to work as early as Jeff did. So when he would leave in the morning, I would get on my bicycle like I did when I was a kid and I used to talk to God a lot when I was a kid riding my bikes. So um, I would ride my bike around town and cry and, and all of this. And then I, would, I had uh, the verses on pieces of paper in my pocket. So I would stop ever so often and, and pull those out and read that scripture. Wow. And then I'd get back on and away I'd go again. So that's part of how I grieved on my own in the beginning. So and the people in town said, the people in town said, there goes that crazy lady that cries on the bicycle all the time. <laughs> well, maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> you know, if I, if I can, I'd like to add one little tip in there too, Tim, you know, it was that it was, it was within the first two weeks, you know, the funeral was now over and we were laying in bed. It was June. And, um, you know, Deb just looked at me and said, what are we going to do? You know, I'm a husband, I'm a guy, you know, we fix things. And, and I had no idea. I said, Deb, I, I don't know. And she looked at me and she said, should we pray? And the, the point I would like to make to the listeners and to every married couple is Deb and I had a separate prayer life. You know, we, we did say grace before meals and we did go to church on Sunday together, but we never prayed together. And when we were in the bed that night, um, she looked at me and she said, should we pray? And we laid on our backs, held, held hands, and we prayed the Lord's Prayer. Mm. We didn't ask for anything. We didn't know what to ask. We were so, so in the depths of our grief. But, you know, we, we believe that, we believe that, you know, God heard that prayer and eventually put some things in place that helped us. So I would encourage people, um, if, if you... If you have issues with your, you know, your family, whatever, your wife, you're just, just talk, speak, speak or pray together and just ask for help. You know, um, I would encourage that. So, yeah, I appreciate you adding that. And I think 
Deb, you said last night that you guys got quite a bit of help from uh, a pastor or a priest. Can you yeah. tell our listeners about that? Um, at the time, our pastor was um, out of town, so we um, had to have someone else, and we didn't know Father Pat Sloniker, but uh, some friends asked him if he would be willing to um, do Jason's funeral, and he did. So he was a very kind man, and so I set up a, an appointment with him so Jeff and I could go talk to him and after the funeral, and that's when Jeff was going to give him a piece of his mind and tell him all about it, <laughs> if you want to finish mm-hmm. that, Jeff. Well, the anger had set in, and I was very angry at God, um, and, and because of something that happened, you know, I, I quit going to church, I quit praying, and, and I was in a pretty bad place, and, and I, when Deb made this appointment, I was ready to tell Father about it, and I started kind of unloading on Father Pat, and he just, he just looked me in the eyes, he said, Jeff, he said, God wants to hear anything you, anything you want to tell him. He has big shoulders. He can take it. He wants to hear it all from you. And wow, I was not expecting that. And um, so, I, so I took his advice. And I have to say, it was the first time in my life. I was 47 years old. It's the first time in my life I really, truly ever did talk to God, you know? It was a one-way conversation, <laughs> but, yeah, one. but, but you know, I, I think the Holy Spirit was working through Father that day. Well, I would say if you haven't circled back to tell that priest thank you, um, please do so because that's one of the things I'm... We have. We have. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Um, I want to move now and talk a little bit about zebras. (laughs) So you say, what in the world is he going to talk about? What what is zebras? Well, I teach my students and I've taught them for probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years now that... You know, the old saying, the zebra can't change his stripes. And it's true when it comes to stress reactions and techniques that we've learned from our parents, our genetic wiring, you know, how we deal with the small stuff, a car not starting, you know, losing our cell phone, losing our keys, can't find my glasses, those kind of, is probably how we're going to cope with the big stressors in our life. And losing a son suddenly, unexpectedly, is a major stressor. Um, so I want your take on this. Is it, am I teaching what's accurate that, you know, the way you dealt with stress before is the way you dealt with the big stress? Would you agree or disagree with that? I, if I could first answer that, for me, you know, in my brain, maybe it's my engineering side. I've always been a planner, so I put things in place, this and that, and something goes south. You know, that's that, then I have to, maybe I might get upset with myself or you got to fix it, you know. Um, or if if something, a loss, you might say, or maybe you can't find the car keys. But, you know, when Jason died, that was so huge. Um, I found that after he died, I would literally, when I had to face a situation that maybe used to bother me, all I had to do is look at our son's picture. And mm-hmm. it, it, it just doesn't stack up to this. And it would just completely, I would just completely have a piece about me. And the, you know, and the thing, really honestly to this day, the only things that really get to me are, are uh, loved ones who are struggling or maybe an illness 
you know, those are the types of things that, that, that my stressors, you know, will go up. But outside of that, the materialistic things of the world after Jason died went minimal for me. So it sounds like Jason's death really changed you, Jeff. Oh, absolutely. Deb, what, what do you see in your own coping skills? Were, were they consistent with how you handled everyday stress to how you handled Jason's death? No, actually. <laughs> okay, um, that's what I want. That's why I ask. And I'm more of an introvert and a, more of a pessimist. So, um, in the past, and I also dealt and still do at times with anxiety, um, pretty bad some of those years. But, and even my girls said after Jason passed away, Mom, we thought you would go to your bed and, and not come out. Mm-hmm. But instead, I acted almost the opposite um, because Jeff was in such a state, and, and I was too, but I had to do something. I had to act. So I really put in motion. I read every book I could get my hands on. Um, every mother that sent me a card and said that, that lost a child and said, um, if you ever need to talk, please call me. And I called every one of them. So I did a lot of that. And uh, like I had mentioned, role reversal somewhat. And we went to, go ahead. We went to compassionate friends and Jeff was, he was open to whatever I suggested. He did. We did everything together. But um, so I would say the answer for me is I went the other way. I felt like I was stronger looking back. And I surprised myself, I guess, looking back. Yeah, I remember when you came here 17 years ago, you said that, you know, Jeff was going down. And if you went down also, you felt the whole ship would go down, the whole family would go down. And so in some ways, maybe you rose to the occasion as a true leader and you kind of helped pull him out of it, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, I guess I did. Um, well, God did. <laughs> <laughs> well, let yeah. me, if I can add to that, Deb, Deb became the diligent seeker. Like she said, she read any book she could get her hands on on grief. She was seeking. She just needed answers. Um, she hooked us up with a group out of, of Ada, Ohio, called Compassionate Friends, and it was... The people that come there are people who have lost a child. Of course, that's that's the only people I wanted to talk to outside of my immediate family because I wanted to understand them. How did they get through mm-hmm. this? And it, they, it was a beautiful group of people. Um, and they, of course, we were raw, fresh and raw all the time, and, and they were there for us. And it, it was really, really good. Um, what was the other thing, Deb? I'm trying to think where else you... We went and heard some speakers yeah. and yeah. things like that. But I think I want to interject here also... When I went back to work, I, it was just my boss and I in, in, in our little office. So I didn't have to produce as such. I could sit there and do nothing, and that was okay with him. Um, let's, let's talk about work because you both, I think Jeff went back to work first. He um, did, but see, he had to go back and be around all of these people. And try to and keep. He was supervising a lot of people, as I recall. Yes, so he had to try to keep himself together. So when he came home, 
he was done. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to see anyone. Whereas I needed to see people. I needed to mm-hmm. be around. So we we kind of had to find our balance in that. And we did. We did. Yeah, for me, it you know, yes, I managed a group of engineers and uh, mechanical electricals and technicians and people, you know, and I worked around some wonderful, wonderful people and they did my job for me. They had my back mm-hmm. all through it. And I will, and I have to say, Tim, that uh, I didn't want to walk in that place as much as I loved my job there at Honda. Um, I, Cause I just didn't want to have to face people because it was everything I could do I, to hold back my grief, my tears. And so, I would, I would cry to the door. I'd go in and get through my day. Sometimes I'd have to go to the restroom or a meeting room and just close the door. And then as soon, as soon as I walked out the door at the end of the day, walk into my car, bam. You know, and I wanted to get out of my system before I got home dead because I, did, I didn't know how she was doing because I didn't want to walk in all teary-eyed to get her going. You know, it was, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, it's, 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 how, it's how we had to deal with things. And, you know, it, it's good because um, it's better than being isolated, so I was forced to go back to work, which is a good thing. You know, just trying to get back into some norm, normal normalcy again. You know, let's let's talk about that for a minute. Did did Jason have a funeral? Yes. 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 Okay. Did are you both fans of funerals? Because on on one hand, there's there's a group of scholars that say you know funerals are good because they they bring us together from being isolated and grieving alone. And if you watch human behavior at funerals, there's a lot of touching, hugging, crying, and we are very supportive of one another at funerals. So, what are you feel? What are your feelings? Do you support funerals, or are you against them? Oh well, of course I support them because I think it's very important that your your loved ones are there and your friends, and you know, have that final right, especially in our faith that's very integral to our um, beliefs and such. You mean the funeral service? The funeral service, yes. But um, before Jason died, no, I do not like funerals um, or funeral homes. (laughs) But after that, boy, do you see the importance of showing up to viewing. I can't tell you everybody's name that was there, but I could tell you who wasn't there. So... I, I have learned from that just because it used to make me uncomfortable. No, you go there for, for you know, the person that's lost their loved one. So yeah. um, I look at funerals. In fact, I'm on the funeral uh, ministry. So um, I actually work funerals at times. So I see, you know, the importance of that. And yes, I'm very much for that. Yeah, on the other side, on the flip side, there's a group of scholars that say, you know, for instance, the average American funeral today costs $8,500. Mm. And people say it's a big business. They rip you off. They they take advantage of people when they're grief-stricken and they ups, upsell them to the next best coffin or the vault that has a triple seal to keep the water out. And, and I, I have seen that, but... I do. Th- I'm like you. I, I'm I'm a big supporter of funerals because I do think it's important to bring people together, whether it's a memorial service of some kind or a funeral service, something to bring people together from their their separate solo grief. I think it's a good thing. Jeff, do you agree? 
Yes, I, I agree. And, I, and I'm kind of laughing here, Tim, because I can remember when we had to go in and pick out Jason's coffin. We walked in there and we had all these coffins and, and my eyes kind of went to the stickers on them, the price tags. Oh, and wow. I'm, I'm looking at Deb and she looked at one. She didn't She didn't even look at the prices. She said, oh, that's Jason's color. We're going to do that one there. Bam, done. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. It was, it was pretty neat. I don't even remember that. Yeah, I, yeah, I recall that. But, oh, absolutely. And, you know, for us, uh, there were there were several people that did not know us, and they just made a point to come to the funeral home because they had lost a child, and all they wanted yeah. to say, all they wanted to say to us, you know, was I understand your pain. You know, that's a beautiful thing when you hear that from people, you know, because I think I had mentioned maybe all those years ago, the only people I wanted to talk to was someone who had lost a child because I yeah. I needed to understand it. How did they get through it? Yeah, the people that have lost a child. I've been through it, and they're they understand it best. I mean, it's one one thing for you to lose like an elderly parent. It's another thing to lose a, a son who just graduated from high school and was on a f- senior trip to Myrtle Beach. It's very very different. So, yeah. Let's go to talk about men and women. How men and women might cope differently. Um, you have twenty years of retrospective look back. You can look back at Jason's death and how each of you grieved and how you mourned. And would you would you say that you men and women grieve differently or the same? I think in our case, yes. Um, Jeff went through a lot of anger, and he was never an angry man. And so that was really um, eye opening to me. And it wasn't directed to me. He was just angry, and. You know, I was too, but I passed through that state pretty quickly, I believe. But I would say that they do. I think men do tend to get angrier and kind of clam up. Yeah, and you have. Well, well, Deb, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you on something because I think it was you who said 17 years ago. Used was it you or, or Tracy? Used to drive around the car and just scream. Oh yeah, I did that. (laughs) <laughs> like I said, who are you, who are you screaming at? And you said, I don't know, just anybody, you know, like God or situation or. It's hard just, to uh, it's hard to describe that. It's it's a welling up in inside of yourself, and I think being a mother, it maybe it's even a bit more dramatic. But it's it was like a welling up in me, and I had to let it out. You had to go somewhere and let it out. Yes. Yes. Jeff, what's your opinion on the gender thing? Do men and women grieve differently or the same? Um, it's interesting because, you know, because because we do we did lose our son and we were both, you know, he's part of us. Uh, we, you, you grieve together as a husband and wife, but you also grieve individually. You know, when Deb's mother died, I could be there for Deb in a way that I couldn't be for be there for her when Jason died. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I went into busy mode, came home from work and I, I redid every room in the house for the next, I don't know how many months and months, right? Yes, Just, yes. I had to keep busy cause I, cause I did not know what else to do until I dropped at the end of the night and wake up and just do it all over again. That, that was pretty much how I, how I coped with things for the first year and a half. Just, sure. I just kept as busy as I possibly could. And Deb, did you do the same? Were you also 
did you keep yourself busy or did you grieve differently with people? I mentioned you, you said earlier you, you wanted to be around people. Yes. I mean, I'm, I like my alone time, too, and I definitely needed that at times. Um, we're very close with our daughters as well, and they were wonderful during that time and still are. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think just having the girls around and I had a, a good group of friends. Uh, all of our family lives away, so it's not like I had my sisters. My mom had been going gone 10 years by then. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of support from friends, which I was very thankful for. And we had, you know, our grandsons and then our new little granddaughter that was born six weeks later. So I was busy, you know, helping Jessica and Malia with the boys. And so that was good timing, having grandchildren at the ages that they were, because that that definitely helped. Build, build a void. Build yeah. the void, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. I I often say that uh, we have we have a cat that I found here at the University of Toledo parking lot, and we've we've named him Toby. He's been with us about twelve years now, and uh, cool. I often say that that God brought Toby into our lives at a dark period when we were empty nesters for the first time. We really weren't handling it that well, and all of a sudden there's this other life in your home that you're responsible for. And so uh, mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in, you know, pets. <laughs> well, there's no, I don't, I'm a big believer. There's no such thing in coincidence either. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Let's, let's talk about insights. Maybe you've learned about yourself in the 20 years. You know, many, many experts in the field of grief and mourning say that, you know, grief gives us a chance to change uh, we're we're really different over time. It gives us a chance for introspection, for strength. How would you say what what's the greatest change that's occurred in your life, and has this death of Jason has it caused opportunities for you to change? Oh boy. <laughs> well, I think I think the change has been gradual. You know, you don't see it. You don't change immediately. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, you're weathered over time. And uh, I think, yeah, does, does time make it all go away? Of course not. But it, it just lets you grow. You're growing along in the journey. And then you have a different relationship with your loved one. You know, um, talk to him a, a lot. And one thing I wanted to share before I forget was I would say our granddaughter was maybe 10 or 12, and we were all at the um, cemetery for Jason's birthday, I believe, in March. And, you know, Jeff talked, and we said our hellos and all of that, and Bryn is her name, and she started to cry. And she said, how can you love and miss someone so much that you've never met? And I thought how wow. beautiful that was. And we've shared so much, you know, about him as the girls have done with the kids too, that they feel like they know him. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that was the sweetest thing that, that she shared with us. Yeah, my office here at UT, which you can't see now because we're doing only audio on this podcast, but there's a plaque I'm looking up at and it said, our loved ones never really leave us we can always find them here. And it has a picture of our heart. 
Yeah. And that's really true. I mean, Jason has lived on in your hearts, even though he's physically gone, but your family has done what I would say an exceptional job of talking about him to your grandkids, talking about him to nieces, nephews, cousins. He's really still alive, but in a very different way. Um, so, Jeff, what have you learned about yourself through this loss over 20 years? Wow. Um I guess how precious life is. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, Jason's death was sudden, um, you know, we don't, we do not know when our last day is going to be. Um, and every morning when I get up, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think about that. So I try to make the best of this day as I can. Um, not perfect by any means, you know, but still if, for, for me, it's just kind of what, what, what can I do to help somebody else? Whether I'm, whether I'm praying for somebody that I hear about that's struggling or if, if an opportunity comes where you can be around somebody to help them or um, as, as we talked about earlier, you know, we, the doors have opened for both Deb and I and ministries and other things. And um, that gives me peace. And it also, I feel very, very blessed because had Jason not died, I wouldn't be doing the things I'd be doing. Hmm. And I just and and I just think I would be more more worldly than I would be trying to serve others. That's fantastic. Well, if you're just tuning in, we're here with Jeff and Deb Banks. Uh, they lost their son Jason, high school senior, graduated from Anna High School about twenty years ago. And they were here at the University of Toledo about seventeen years ago to record a video. And we're having them here on this podcast to talk about death 20 years later. How have things changed? Last question to you, both of you. Um, I, I posed the same question to you 17 years ago, and you had some beautiful things to say to my students who are in the room. But what would you say to our listeners about things that you've learned via Jason's death, about yourself, about coping? Um, Deb, I remember you said something that was very, very important to the group that many students have hold on to. And I actually, I start module six out of each class with your quote. You said, you can't go under it. You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You can't tunnel beneath it. You have to climb that mountain of grief and it's terrible. Yeah. You, so, you just, you have to go through it as hard as it is. Um, yeah. And that I've, I've actually shared that with a lot of people. Um, and it's it's a tough road. I'm not going to say it's not, but um, yeah, it's not easy. But you. So what would you say? What's what, what's one thing you'd say to our listeners about how they can cope or how they can deal with their loss, their grief, even if it's 20 years later? What would you? Let's start with Deb. Um, I guess I would say keep on living until you feel alive again. Hmm. Keep on living until you feel alive again. Yeah. Jeff, what about you? Um, I guess because you know, we talked earlier, it's so important to talk to people. It's so it's so important that if you're struggling, talk 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 to somebody about it as as opposed to holding in, becoming isolated. Because you know when we become isolated, it's just it's not good. It's not healthy for us. 
Um, and then you I'm, become stuck also. And yeah, you can become stuck. And, you know, then 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 what happens is, you know, you can kind of do a lot of, I, I guess that maybe, I don't want to say self-pity, but you can really find yourself stuck in a place like Deb said, and then it's really tough to get out. So um, find somebody, some somebody in your life that you can talk to to get help that you need. You know, that's sometimes just talking will help, will take care of it, but maybe you need other type of help too, you know, and, and uh, it's so important then, then to become isolated. Well, that's very good advice. And I thank both of you for being on the show today. This is Jeff, Jeff and Deb Banks from Ann, Ohio, who lost their son, Jason, about 20 years ago to a sudden death and we've been talking all podcast about how things have changed in those 20 years. Jeff and Deb, thank you so much for coming on today. We're going to sign off. We're at 48 minutes. And um, I think we really appreciate I know I, our listeners really appreciate you being here. So last words to you. Anything you want to say? I just want to say thank you, Tim. And, you know, you, know, we, you, don't, want your, you don't want your child to be forgotten. And even though your listeners and your classes and all the people that have come in contact with our story don't know us, but you know, it's just a beautiful thing that if some way, somehow a seed has been planted in the hearts of some of your students over these years, that, that's, that's the most important thing. And that's what this is all about. And I know I speak for Deb. We are very, very blessed to be here today talking about this with you. And so I just want to say, God bless you for, for what you do as well, Tim. Well, thank you so much, and thanks to both of you for appearing. We'll see you next time. Remember, this comes out the first full Monday of January, so I think the second is the day after the holidays. We probably won't do it then, but this will be out on Monday, January 9th in the new year. So we'll see you next month. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Thank Tim. you. Take The 1795 Group is very happy to tell you about Andy Slavitt's In the Bubble podcast, produced and distributed by Lemonada Media. You know, every day it seems like the world is on the brink of a crisis. There are just so many serious issues. But you can join Andy Slavitt and various experts on his podcast to make sense of it all. Andy's been called the Outsider's Insider for a reason. I personally believe he knows everyone. As a former White House advisor, author, crisis response leader, Andy simply finds the right helpers to get us moving forward together, smarter and calmer. Get in the bubble today. In the Bubble podcast is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.